Welcome to our next episode of the Five Moments of Need Performance Matters series. This is Bob Mosier, one of the many co-hosts you'll meet throughout this series. So friends, are you trying to learn more about the five moments of need? Maybe how to design for them, implement for them, measure them, and even sell them as an approach to your enterprise. Well, in the Performance Matters series, we will help you better understand the theory and best practices behind this powerful methodology. Hey friends, welcome back to another Performance Matters podcast. Bob Mosher here, one of your many co-hosts. We are so excited that you continue to listen <laughs> and that you find these helpful. Uh, we're well in our 75th. I don't know, my gosh, creeping up on 80. Well over 50,000 downloads, which is exciting and we're honored. And <clears throat> so please, by all means, as we go along, let us know topics, ideas that can be most helpful. Uh, this is an exciting series that we are actually on right now. We don't do them a lot, candidly, but we're on this idea that we just had our summit this spring and it pivoted on implementation. How do you do workflow five moments of need implementation and what is the three-legged stool, if you will, of this discipline? And so we ran at technically with Chris King in one of our series. Very shortly, I'll be posting strategy with uh, Carol Stroud. And today we are honored to have the best workflow five moments of need designer in the world uh sue reaver welcome sue it's great to have you here friend thanks bob it's good to be here so share with our listeners a little bit about how you've earned that title you've been at this a bit and i think that's important for today's topic because a lot of today is about the tactical change or Mm -hmm. the tactical mindset that a designer managers of designers people who run teams have to keep in mind and you have been on that journey, like your your entire professional career. So give people a little bit of that glimpse into yeah. that, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, so this journey really started for me, and you'll remember this well, back in 1996 or 97, when we at Element K, I think it was Element K at the time. I think I just <laughs> turned it, yeah. Yeah, just we're launching what we called LearnPro, and LearnPro was problem-based instructor-led training where you brought your team in and you worked on, you could work on your own work, but there was guidance around it. And it really made me change the way that I thought about training. It really Mm -hmm. made me change the way I thought about training. (laughs) And instead of developing the objectives and then building down from the objectives, what we would do is sit in a conference room and we would brainstorm a list of skills that people needed in order to use whatever software. This was very software focused at that time. Yep. And then we would build scenarios around those skills and map the skills to the scenarios. And people would come to training and they would work on their own stuff. They'd have a case. They'd have the scenarios if they didn't have their own stuff. And the facilitator was there to really help them move along. So that was the beginning of my journey. So that was Mm. a long time ago, right? I don't even want to think about, was that 25 years ago? It was. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) it actually was. Yep. (laughs) And that really has informed how I've thought about training and developing training ever since that time. Yeah. I remember how powerful, Sue, those first couple classes were. I remember when our gifted instructor, I forget who it was actually at the time, but when we were in the back watching the early pilots of that, I was cringing myself over, oh, my gosh, you're not going to cover blah, blah, blah. Or mm-hmm. you should probably go deeper into this because I would taught the stuff myself. 
right? Yeah. And, we, and we kind of, even though we didn't know it at the time, I don't think we even knew Khan at the time, to be honest, but I, there was a critical skill element to it, right? Because we decided that the instructor would only teach certain things. Yes, exactly. And let, other, and let others be discovered. And so the idea of the critical impact of failure, even though we didn't know it then or have the rigor of the rubric, we, yep. we were, those were the early days of mm-hmm. that. And I remember coming out of those early classes, as painful as they felt, going, this is different. This, yeah. the energy in the room, the impact on the learner, even though we were just scratching the surface, it was uh, something. Where it hit me that it was something different was when we rolled it out to the sales force. And I don't know if you remember this, but down at the Grand Old Opry Hotel, Opryland <laughs> Hotel. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> We trained the entire Element K sales force using LearnPro. And if you've ever trained, you have, but if anyone out there has ever trained sales, an entire sales force, they walk out of the room all the time. They are on their phones. They're not paying attention. It is, they have so much that they're trying to do and get done. And I was shocked because there was not a single person that actually left the room while we were doing that training, they were completely engaged. It was the most amazing thing that I have ever seen. Yeah. And that yeah. was what really made a believer of me. And I was like, oh, wow, this I think this will work. And here we sit, right? Yeah. 20 something years later, um, the gift of Dr. Khan Godfordson, uh, lots yeah. of good work with some amazing clients. Mm-hmm. And and with that has come a, has come some remarkable rigor. Enable, you know, we have what we call rapid workflow analysis now as a discipline, all these wonderful things. So today, Sue, the pivots on tactical, right? Mm -hmm. And and, and that's really the world you just described. And for so many instructional designers and the the managers of instructional designers, this is a pivot. This is a tactical and emotional, (laughs) in some ways, right? Pivot. Yep. And so so let's get into this. One thing I've had, I had Chris and Carol do as we started out, obviously the word strategic, tactical, and technical are pretty broad, right? So in the context of our world of workflow, learning, design, and five moments design, what do we mean by tactical? Are there any any components or competence, you know, to it that we would delineate what we mean by tactical here, Sue? Yeah, for tactical, so with strategic, we were talking about business partnership and governance and measurement and change leadership. For technical, We were talking about content development and maintenance, content delivery and ongoing optimization, and tracking and measuring and reporting. The tactical capabilities, what we talk about there is the learning and job performance team. And that's a new phrase that we coined because we really want people to think about it's not just the learning team. It's the learning and job performance team. That's really critical pivot. We talk about project management. So learning and job performance team, who are the people who do the work, project management, how do we do that work and manage it, what's the implementation, and change management, how do we get people to actually adopt? Yeah, yeah. I love that. And and, and and Carol made a delineation between change leadership, mm-hmm. which has the strategic bent, right, more the enterprise view. Yep. And then again, understandably, in tactical change management is an intentional intentional difference. So let's go a little bit deeper in the learning. And I love this job performance team. And it's funny if people listen to me on these things at all, they know that I'm I'm obsessed with vocabulary. It, our industry does two things, I think, not so well. Number one is we, we, we like to make stuff up and we don't define it well. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and and the other thing is we tend to kind of lob it out maybe before it's time, and then not and then not really have for those we serve a real comfortable understanding of what these things are. And then you get things like microlearning, my favorite thing to pick on. It's not that, and I always say, it's not that I disagree with or hate microlearning. It's the fact that I still to this day, it has been around my gosh for now years. I can't get anyone to tell me, I can't get a bunch of people to tell me just what it is. So let's go there a little bit with this whole learning and job performance team. Love that because in the name is what they do, right? Mm -hmm. It is job performance really focused and the learning that surrounds that. So I love where you've gone with this, Sue, because there's an acronym, right, mm-hmm. that helps us tactically peel the onion back here. Yeah. So help us understand what that is. Yeah. So as you talked about, we have the enable methodology. So we've added a little bit of structure around things. Well, we have also pulled together some guiding principles that help in the tactical area. And that's the acronym that you're talking about. It's ADAPT, A-D-A-P-T. We use that just really to help inform what we're doing. The first A is align to the workflow. Mm. And that's like a really critical thing. Aligning to the workflow is really important because how learners encode what they learn into long-term memory determines how efficiently and effectively they're going to be able to apply that learning to their work. So that's the whole idea behind rapid workflow analysis. We're trying to make the work visible and align it to what people actually do on the job. And some guidelines that we have as we think about that are, makes common sense, engage the people who actually do the work. (laughs) Right. Can't tell you how many times we've gone into a rapid workflow analysis, an RWA, and we have just the learning and job not even job performance team, just the learning people there. Yeah. And we say, no, 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 we need people who actually do the job. And it is eye-opening to the learning people and to the managers of the people who are actually doing the work that, oh my goodness, we didn't realize what people are actually doing. Well, Sue, I think sometimes even the SMEs they get in there aren't the right people. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, they they bring in, they said, no, 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 we got the people who do the work. We've got the the managers of the sales yep. reps. Yeah, for for the CRM, we've got the hypo folks who've done it for 20 years in the room who are help us understand how even those folks who who we've used forever might not even be, I think, the folks you're describing here. Yeah. So you you literally want your target audience to be in that workflow analysis because they are the ones who are actually doing the work right now. Oftentimes, the managers, maybe they did do the work, maybe they didn't. (laughs) Maybe they think they know what the people that are on their team do, but usually they don't. And so it's really important to get the right mix of people together. And you also have to keep that initial team small. You can then go out and validate with everybody else, but it needs to be small and it needs to be the right mix of people. We like to bring together the people who are actually doing the work. That might be subject matter experts and business matter experts mm-hmm. who tend to have more of a process view into how the business works itself. Right. Then we want to articulate that workflow. So what we do in our RWA is begin at the task level and work up. That's totally the opposite of the way that we did things in 
the old world of, of the ISD. And then we determine the workflow logic of the tasks. So we group those tasks together into the processes that make sense for the workflow. And we put together a map to actually connect the encoding with the retrieval. So that's how that helps. The other thing that we do is, and this is a big deal and something that people have a hard time with, distinguish knowing from doing. Mm. We need to focus on what people need to do, and then we can identify the things that they need to know in order to do what they need to do on the job. And we call those things that people do tasks, and we identify and organize those first. And then we call the things that people need to know supporting knowledge. Right. And then the last thing that we do in aligning to the workflow is try to balance cognitive load. If you think about what we can remember and grasp, we apply the chunking principle to that. So seven plus or minus two optimizes working memory and helps people with encoding and retrieval. So we're going to, we might have sub processes, you know, we'll take a look at everything and try to group it in a way that's not going to cognitively overload people. Which we do in training all the time. Mm-hmm. This, sure this is what's so wonderful for me about this letter, Sue, and, and I love that we lead with it, is that if you're going to do workflow learning, if you're going to mm-hmm. do the five moments and, and focus on apply first, yeah, you have to understand the workflow. And it's funny, I think a lot of designers have a hard time going, but I've always done this. No, no, no. I got I get people in a room. I ask them what they did. I but it, and what you keep coming back to is no, no, we really didn't. Yeah. <laughs> we, we didn't have the right people there often. And yep. really wasn't you might have said the words, you know, so tell us what you do. But as we both know, SMEs <laughs> love the no thing. Yes. They they gotta know, or before they do anything, they should know, or this is important to know. And Right. And it really does create a very different outline. Yes. That doesn't, in the end, help balance cognitive load because we don't know. We don't know because we don't truly see the workflow at the literal operational level. We don't know what is truly most important or better word, critical, because it's all important. Right. right? We don't know really what's critical and what's not. And therefore, we fire hose people in training. Okay. D. D is develop for job performance first. Mm-hmm. And what that helps us do is be more effective in our in developing the actual solution. And yes. I'm going to call it a solution because it's not just training. Brilliant. And in order to do that, we're going to focus first on job performance, not training. This is a big switch. And this is another thing, another place where people have trouble making that leap. Mm-hmm especially if they're classically trained instructional designers, right? Because we're, we are trained. We start with the objective. We start with the training and we don't really think about the job performance piece of it. Yeah. That's something else. Maybe people do on the job coaching. Maybe they, they stop and ask people when they have questions, when they get back to work. So this is a really big thing. We focus on that job performance first And we prioritize what we do based on critical impact of failure. And that is a big, also a big difference because oftentimes within an organization, we'll come up with this outline and we'll just develop everything immediately. Everything doesn't need to be in the training. We like to be targeted with our training and that's why we have a performance support solution and a targeted training solution And that critical impact of failure, that allows us to cost justify 
the level of investment in developing and implementing the solution because we are able to focus on high risk skills. So things that are going to be a big problem if people don't do them correctly or don't know what they are. You know what's so funny about this thing is so many times do I hear that you guys are all over the workflow and therefore, by the way, devalue training mm-hmm. or minimize training. Yeah, we do. And I would say we do minimize training, but we don't devalue it. Right. Those are two very different things to me. Right. Mm-hmm. And the world we live in today, my gosh, what L&D professional is none of the gun every day to figure out how to minimize the training footprint yep. and also at the same time maximize their solution. I love that word to the learner. I don't know how else you do it mm-hmm. than this way. But but as you as you perfectly articulated, the workflow starts first. Once you have that transparency, the criticality can be discussed objectively. Mm-hmm. Yep. By an SME, not mm-hmm. subjectively. Yep. And and then you can really and then because you know you're going to build this wonderful performance support thing, you can really optimize. I'm being trying to be real careful with my words. Optimize the efficiency of the training engagement, right? Yep. And it's going to become more important too when we get to talking about targeted training, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. Let's do it. Okay. A. A. The the second A is apply structure. And Mm. the reason that we have this as a guideline is because structure facilitates learning, retention, on the job reference, maintenance, and transfer. All those things. So it's good for both the user and the person who is maintaining the solution. Yep. And we do that by using templates, really, I think is the best way that I would say it. Yep. So for everything that we do, we're going to establish a structured templates for authoring the content. Yep. And we're going to have a consistent interface on all of the deliverables across the solution. And as I mentioned, you've got a performance support deliverable and targeted training deliverables. And we're going to implement a consistent learning path. And this we like to do across an organization. So if they have more than one performance support solution, as they build those out, we want to make sure that there's consistency across whatever solution somebody is using. You know, and Sue, this became really apparent to me when we got into e-learning in our early days, my friend, right? With Just with a whole UI thing, a consistent mm-hmm. UI. Yep. Because when people are on their own, and an instructor's not up in front going, oh, okay, I can tell you don't get it. Or, you know, no, 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 don't go there. You know, I, I can see where you, you know, there, <laughs> we are targeting the workflow here and a self-reliant worker. So yeah. the importance now more than ever, and we're also not just, no offense to e-learning, but we're not just training here. We are supporting performance in the moment of doing where yes. screw-ups are bad, Yes. right? And so the consistency of that tool and the experience in seeing the same thing the same way, navigating through the workflow the same way, these kinds of things. I mean, Mark um, Wagner is one of our guests. He has his KMT that they developed at the Hartford, and he he always tells the remarkable story that when COVID hit, entire uh, departments shifted focus mm-hmm. in, in areas they'd never even supported before. But because his KMT, Sue, had consistent structure, their ability to go across disciplines but boy it sounds it sounds like kind of just in the weeds but boy it's it's big yeah it's huge so friend p p is provide task level performance support (laughs) (laughs) this is uh, another one of the key guidelines and 
the reason that we say that P is provide task level performance support is because tasks are the fundamental unit of job performance. Yep. And if we want to enable effective performance, we need to make sure that people have access to all of the relevant resources at the task level. Yep. And this is why a training only approach doesn't work. Yep. Because we need to we need to address all five moments of need as they occur during, you know, the, we talk about train transfer sustain. Yep. And a training only approach is only going to address that train. Mm, right. You know, it's not I mean, it might begin to address transfer, but we've got the forgetting curve there. Sure. So this is why we need to provide task level performance support when people get back to the job, back on the job. Yeah. Or when they are on the job, not necessarily back on the job. And and I and I love your point earlier, Sue, about aligning all the resources too. It's not just so here's the task step one, two, three, mm -hmm. four, five. It's yeah. also look, you know, there's the supporting knowledge. There's mm -hmm. there's there's the reference material that exists. There's even learning, there's a coach. Yeah. That's right. But aligning yep. those at, at the tasks being the tip of the pyramid, yeah, as opposed to some random SharePoint site or or library of stuff, it really yeah. makes efficiency and the tasks. It's back to this throwing them in the deep end with something that they can survive with. And doing that too helps you evaluate. Most organizations have tons of resources all <laughs> over the place. Good point. <laughs> yep. And really associating those resources with the tasks that they belong with, it can help in a lot of ways. It can help us to figure out, is this resource really actually something people need yep. or use, or is it just some, yeah. you know, something vestige that we don't need anymore? It can also help us to make sure that people are not going off and searching all over the place for information that they need. Yep. And it can, we can use it in training as well. So this Amazing. is where we're going to talk more about that next too. <laughs> but providing task level performance support is entailed entails providing access to the digital coach. So it's always a digital coach, which is what I was calling a performance support solution. Yep. From all relevant points of work, what we're trying to get to is two-click, 10-second access to anything that I need in order to complete a task that I need to do on the job, setting up contextual access to those tasks and their supporting resources. So that mm -hmm. would be the workflow map, mm -hmm. providing just enough. So this is where our pyramid comes in. And I know we don't need to spend a lot of time talking about this, but we want the big thing is on the job, you wanna make sure that people can get to the steps as quickly as possible without having to wade through a whole bunch of extraneous stuff that they may or may not need. Exactly. And so we design everything based on the pyramid and that way we have, people can go as deep as they need to. And then the other thing is we need to keep that content correct and current. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. So if it's not up to date, people aren't going to stop using it. So associating it at the task level, I think makes it easier to maintain. You know, and back to your point about the, you know, we made a run to content management years ago, Sue, and I and I think what for many, the reason didn't, and knowledge management, frankly, and I think the reason both of those didn't get the traction in most organizations is because they didn't have the context mm -hmm. of the workflow, the context yeah. of criticality. So everything was on the table. Yeah. And, and these behemoth systems were built because there was no gatekeeper. 
yep. of this. And I can tell you how many organizations we've gone into where we do true content management in the gazillion resources they have. Yeah. You know, and, and even though we're designing a solution, we leave them with a wonderful gift, which is a governance and an effort to get their arms around what has in many grown out of control. Yes. Right. Yes. So I love that this last letter is last. Yes. Right. Because Me it too. kind of comes back to our point earlier about we are not devaluing training. Right. The yes. last letter of ADAPT is T. Take us there, Sue. Yeah. So T is target high risk skills. Mm. And the big thing with this is you don't need, for me, you don't need to train everything. You need to train those high-risk skills, and you need to have enough time during training to target those high-risk skills. Yep. They need to have the appropriate level of instructional treatment. They need to have practice. Yep. They need to have feedback. People need to walk out of the training really comfortable and confident about how to do those high-risk skills, mm -hmm. how to complete those. That means that we need to, and this is the big thing that people forget about or want to forget about, that <laughs> means that we need to incorporate the digital coach in the training. The digital coach comes first, the training comes second. And really? even if all we have in the digital coach is the quick steps and the details for those quick steps, that needs to come first so that in training, we are teaching people how to use that digital coach so that they can be self-reliant learners when they go back to work. And I think Love that it. is the huge differentiator. Yep. And like I said, the thing that people struggle with the most as they develop their training, because it changes the way you do your training completely. You know, somewhere along the line, Sue, and I think it was once, once information just went off the charts, I think the we lost focus of what the classroom really for, mm -hmm. you know, and does best. It became this dumping ground of just so much stuff mm -hmm. to cover. And yeah. all these remarkable principles about scaffolding and guided and unguided practice, they, they went out the door in mm -hmm. so many classes because I get it, we have so much to cover, Yeah. right? And so this remarkable methodology, I think really gets the classroom back where it belongs. Right. It lets it yeah. minimizes. It lets you to your point, it lets you practice. It lets you safely fail. It lets you learn to be self-reliant. It yes. lets you work with peers and colleagues. It lets the, the trainer wander around like the learn pro days and do what they do best. It's not a gazillion PowerPoint slides. Yes. And are there any questions before I go on? Yes. I mean, my gosh, crazy. Yes. So, my friend, brilliant. Adapt. A-D-A-P-T. And, and by the way, those listening, if they want to get that reference, you can go back to our website, plysynergies.com, and there are some references there as well, and as well as fivemomentsofneed.com. Walking away from this, give me two, three, when you think back on ADAPT, give me the, what, what bubbles to the top for you is, okay, look, I'm making this journey, taking my first step. These three things are paramount mm -hmm. to everything else. Give, where, where, where would you go? Flip your thinking and start with the job performance first, not the objectives. What do people actually need to do and really focus on that? I know people sometimes have a hard time distinguishing between do and know. Yes. So think in terms of action verbs. What is it that people need to do? Organize that into the workflow, I think would be the other thing. Mm -hmm. And let go of the idea that you need to train 
everybody on everything. Yep. They need to be trained on the critical skills and they need support for those things that they can learn in the workflow. Love that word. Yeah, if we flip it to I have to support people on everything. Mm-hmm. And then whatever gets me there, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go at training, if I may, takes on a different light. Mm-hmm. And and I, for me, although again, as we ended with T, it has a critical role to play. It's no longer the tip of the sword anymore, if if it ever should have been, right? So yes, spectacular, absolutely spectacular as always. My gosh, friend, you're you are just so astute at this, and it has been really a blessing to watch you evolve in this journey and become as remarkable as you are. And and what I want people listening to understand, because there are people out there like you, is that. Sue was a diehard ISD. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when I first met you, friend, you were right out of college, you were lockstep, and you built a remarkable training. Mm-hmm. But you have really, because you're in it for the right reason, evolved your thinking and your approach to this in a way that is really life-changing. And those out there listening can do the same. Yes, they can. Well, thanks, friend. So appreciate you. And, and everyone listening, what a gift. Thanks so much, Sue. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. Well, that's it for this episode of the Five Moments of Need Performance Matters series. We look forward to future conversations around how to best put the five moments of need into practice. We welcome your feedback and can be reached on Twitter using my Twitter handle at BMOSH, as well as our Five Moments of Need website, which is www.thenumber5momentsofneed.com. We hope you're finding these helpful and will subscribe to future episodes. Have a great day, friends.